Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. This is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, actually, another name for it is Easter Sunday, and uh, that's very significant as well. How many had a chance to see, what well, I think of it, the movie Miracles from Heaven? How many had a chance to get on Friday with us, or maybe you saw it some other time? Wasn't that an incredible movie? Really recommend if you haven't seen it, you've got to go. Just this wonderful uh, story about miraculous, and uh, you know everybody takes away different things. I thought it was a very nice story, a tearjerker. What I took away, the greatest miracle of all, is the pastor preached about three minutes. And I just wept and wept. I had a Kleenex and the congregation, they were all weeping, everybody there thinking what that would be like. Um, but a wonderful movie if you get a chance to see it. Well, as I said, this is Easter Sunday morning. The word Easter actually comes from a Latin, and it simply means dawning or rising. And essentially what that means is just like with the rising of the sun, uh, really declares a brand new day, that in the same way, the rising of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, from the tomb, from death, declares, shouts, a brand new era, a new day has dawned for all of mankind, and especially for all of us who receive the work that Christ has done on our behalf. Well, this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. Pastor Christian gave me 20 minutes. I thanked him for that. Uh, it stood some time for me this morning. Wasn't it a wonderful presentation uh, from the uh, music department? Pastor Kristen, thank you so much, and all the musicians. What a wonderful ministry this morning. But I do want to share for a few minutes, and I want to share maybe a little bit of a different perspective, a little bit of an angle this morning, as we consider for a few moments exactly what it was that Jesus did when he died on the cross. What happened during those three days that Jesus was in the tomb? What happened between the time of his crucifixion and his actual ascension into heaven, what took place in the realm of the Spirit? What did Jesus really accomplish? Well, if you have your Bibles, we'll be bouncing back and forth between a few passages, but we're going to start back where Jesus actually died on the cross that day, what we call Good Friday. And the Bible says that when Jesus drew his last breath and he died, that two of his friends, his followers, they went to the Roman governor at that time and they said, may we have his body. And so they were given permission to take his body down before the Sabbath, and they laid his body in a tomb that was just freshly hewn out of the side of a cliff, uh, out of the side of a hill, rather, and it was owned by the name of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. So they laid Jesus' body in the tomb. Now, the chief priests and the religious leaders of that time who had conspired to have Jesus crucified and to finally get rid of him, they also went to Pilate, and they said, Sir, this imposter, this Jesus of Nazareth, he told his followers that he would be crucified, that he would die, but that he would rise from the dead three days later. And we want to make sure that this guy, that nothing happens, that the people actually believe that myth. And so we want to ask you to put a Roman guard around his tomb so that nobody can come and take his body and say that it was actually he himself who had risen from the dead. So Pilate conceded, and he gave them a Roman guard, which consisted of at least 50 Roman soldiers, seasoned Roman soldiers. And so they were guarding the tomb. So the scripture says that basically for three days, as the soldiers guarded the tomb, that the city of Jerusalem went back to its business. Most folks didn't really know who Jesus was. They, uh, he certainly had some followers, but during the Passover weekend, many people had come from different countries and different regions. They'd heard some things about this, uh, this prophet, this teacher, Jesus, but he was crucified now. He was in the tomb. And so basically things went back as usual throughout that Passover weekend for most people in the city of Jerusalem. The uh, religious leaders, of course, the chief priests, they, they just reveled in the fact they'd finally gotten rid 
of this upstart, this troublemaker. He was finally dead. He was finally out of their hair. And of course, the disciples themselves who believed Jesus was the Messiah, they were mourning. They were just, just completely destroyed emotionally uh, because, of course, everything they had hoped and all the hopes they had pinned on Jesus now were, were gone. They were dashed. Jesus was killed. And then on top of that, they were terrified for their lives. They were afraid that the religious leaders would have come after them as well and done the same thing to them as they had done to Jesus. So they were hiding. So all these things were taking place over that Passover weekend, and it seemed for all intents and purposes that everything was done, the dust eventually was going to settle, and everything would turn back to the way it always had been. Well, as we read in the Word of God, we realize that God was not finished. Jesus was not finished, and the battle was not over. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the, Corinthians, to the Colossians, rather, a church in Colossae, he wrote these words. It gives us a bit of an insight as to why Jesus was crucified, and in the realm of the Spirit, from God's perspective, what God had actually accomplished for you and me through his cross. We read these words in chapter 2. Paul says, you were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive with Christ. For he forgave you all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us. Let me say that again. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Would you read this last verse with me? In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Just stop for a second. What that means is, he completely robbed Satan of his power to ever accuse you again. Last line. And he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The Bible tells us in Matthew 27 that just before Jesus died, that he mustered up his last bit of strength that he inhaled and then he shouted at the top of his lungs, It is finished. And those words in the Greek language literally are translated, paid in full. And the moment after he said that, the scripture says he drew his last breath and he released his spirit and physically he died. Now imagine this. The moment he said that and bowed his head and died, the scripture says that there was a tremendous earthquake. And not only does the scripture say this, which is good enough for me, but historians of that day record the same events. That when this Jesus who proclaimed to be the Messiah died, that the actual Roman soldiers who were at his feet at the cross, hardened, battle-hardened soldiers, when they saw what was taking place around, they said, without a doubt, this man was who he said he was. This was the Son of God. Because when Jesus bowed his head and released his spirit and died, the Bible says that there was a tremendous earthquake. That rocks, and you can imagine Palestine, the Jerusalem area, huge rocks began to split. The temple veil, the curtain in the holy place, uh, for those who may be familiar, that in the Jewish worship there was a holy place and a great curtain, 60 feet high, 4 inches thick, and then the holy of holies where no man could enter because it was the very presence of God who dwelt among his people in the holy of holies. The only time a person could go into that place before God was one time a year. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest would take the blood from the sacrifice and go into the very presence of God for the forgiveness or the covering of the sin of the people of the nation at that time. And so what happened the moment that Jesus died is supernaturally that curtain, 60 feet from top to bottom, was ripped wide open. An earthquake and this, this is my favorite part, 
excuse me, I'm a bit of a movie buff. I'd love to see this one in, in Hollywood. But at the same time, the tombs and the graves of those who died with their faith in God and His promised Messiah, they were actually split open. Now try to imagine that for a moment. Just as a little bit of an aside, it would only be a few years later, after Jesus' death, after they'd rejected the Messiah, only a few years later that the Romans would actually march into Jerusalem, overtake it, completely destroy it, and absolutely demolish the temple that central place of worship for that old covenant relationship God had with the people of Israel. That's very significant because I believe with the destruction of the temple, God was letting the people know that he was finished with that old system. It was good when it lasted. It served a purpose while it was there. But now what Jesus has done made that old system obsolete. God had moved out of that place and never again was he going to make his dwelling place a physical building. He was not going to be limited to that. But because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, God says, I will now dwell in the hearts of men and women. You see, the temple curtain was a constant reminder that our sin was separating us from God. We could go through the sacrificial system and have our sins covered for a period of time, but the average person could not enter into the presence of God. We could not have a relationship with God in that kind of way. And so that curtain reminded us of that. We could not come into his presence. But listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says that Jesus opened for us a new way. He opened for us a living way through the curtain. That is what? Through his own body. What does that mean? It means that when Jesus died on the cross and even leading up to the cross, when he was beaten, when he took all of the thrashings on his body for us, that every one of those thrashings, as you know, with the whips they used that had bone and metal sewn into that, woven into it, it would literally tear flesh from his body, as we saw in a glimpse of a clip last, uh, last Sunday morning. And as Jesus' body was being torn open, and his blood was being shed that would atone for your sin and mine, he was making the way for that veil, that curtain that kept us from God, at the same time to be torn open that we would have entrance into the presence of God. And when he died, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, that Jesus entered the most holy place, that is the heavenly temple in the eternal city, only once and for all time. He did not take with him the blood of animals, as the old sacrificial system used to require. His sacrifice was his own blood. And by his blood, he set us free from sin forever. Now, I know we're kind of fast-tracking here this morning, but you may say, well, Pastor, what's the significance of that? Here's another scripture in verse 22. He says, in light of this new way that Jesus opened for us, let us now come near to God with a sincere heart and a confident faith, with hearts that have been purified from a guilty conscience. Think of the ramifications of that for a moment. Because of what Jesus has done for you and me, not only are we able to come into a setting like this and sense the presence of the Lord as we worship Him, but every single one of us, something that could never have been done before Jesus came and did what He did for us, every single one of us can draw near to God. We can have an intimate and personal and passionate relationship with the living God. You see, we now have the opportunity, not the obligation, we have the opportunity at any time of the day to come into God's holy presence on our own, just like we experienced this morning. 
The significance of that is this. You don't need anyone as a go-between between you and God anymore. You don't need any other mediator. You don't need a priest. Amen. You don't need a pastor. Amen. Well, it was nice working with you. But you don't. You don't need a TV evangelist. You don't need even another believer in order for you to enter into the presence of God. You don't need that. And the good news is nobody can keep you out of God's presence. Because of what Jesus has done for you and me, every single one of us have access not just to come into God's presence, but to draw near to God himself and to know him intimately. Jesus is our mediator. And if that's true, that's what the scripture says. Look at Hebrews chapter 4. So, let us, in view of all this, come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. You see, we can encourage one another when it comes to our walk with the Lord. But the Lord has done such a thing that now I have a personal relationship with God. At any time, I can come before Him. The old hymn writer said, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left this indelible crimson stain. But Jesus, He washed it white as snow. Well, Peter says this. That when Jesus died on the cross, he said he was put to death physically. How many of us understand that though you die physically, your spirit lives on? The moment you drop dead, you draw your last breath, your spirit simply steps out of your body and you move into the realm of the spirit. You move into the eternal realm. He says he was put to death physically, but he was made alive in the spirit. So in other words, while events were unfolding on the surface of the earth during those three days, Peter says in verse 19 and 20, there were a number of things that Jesus was doing. And one of the things he did was this. He says that Jesus descended into the innermost parts of the earth, or what you might call the underworld, and he preached to the spirits in prison. They say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? You're watching too much TV. <clears throat> anybody, anybody watch the Vikings? That's kind of the underworld stuff. Here's what happened. You see, before Christ came, when a person died, they could not go into heaven because our sin was not cleansed. We were not born again, made new, alive in the Spirit. Our sin could only be covered through the sacrificial system of the animals. Their blood represented that they were dying in our place and our sin was covered. And we, we would do that, not we, but in the Old Testament days, they would do that as an act of faith in the provision that God would make one day through the Messiah. And so when a person died, they went to Hades. And Hades was basically divided into two compartments. You may remember from the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And those two compartments was a place called the place of torment, where those who died having rejected God's word through the prophets, having rejected uh, his offer of salvation through the coming Messiah, a person would go there. And it would be a holding place where people still are today until their final judgment at the great white throne. But across this great gulf, the scripture says, there was another place called paradise. Another name that was used was Abraham's bosom. Those who died like Abraham in the promise, in the faith, in the promise of God and his, and his coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, they would go to paradise. That was the holding place until 
Jesus did what he did on the cross and through his resurrection. And Peter says that Jesus went there and he preached to those who were in prison. What does that mean? Was he giving them a second chance? No. They'd already made their decision. But he was presenting himself to them. He was declaring to them the truth of the message they had rejected through the prophets like Noah and others. We come back to the earth side of things. On the third day after the crucifixion, the Bible says, there was a violent earthquake. As a mighty angel comes down from heaven, he rolls away the stone and he sits on it. And the scripture says that the Roman guard, more than 50 of these battle-seasoned guards who had never seen anything like this before, as we can well appreciate, they became like dead men. They froze in fear. Now, after that kind of settled down, Many of them ran into Jerusalem to find the priests and the religious elders who had actually conspired to crucify Jesus to tell them what they'd done. What you did was wrong. Listen, this is what we've seen. And I'm sure that these, these Roman soldiers who came from another country who were occupying this land of these Jews who were talking about this coming Messiah one day but realized they just killed the wrong man, I'm sure they would have thought, hey, these guys are going to realize what they did wrong and they're going to repent. But they didn't do that. Their hearts were hardened. And instead they said to the guards, we'll pay you a great sum of money. And all we're asking is that you don't tell anybody what happened. You just tell them that the disciples came and they took the body in, in the middle of the night. And, and don't worry about Pilate. We'll pay him off too. We'll take care of him. All we want you to do is propagate the story that the disciples took the body and it'll all be over. Talk about a hard heart. But here's the good news. All the hush money in the world wasn't going to stop the story. All the religious powers in the world were not going to silence the proclamation that Jesus had conquered sin and death and that Jesus was very much alive. In fact, Acts chapter 1 tells us that for 40 days... You see, when Jesus rose from the grave, and again, this is in secular history as well, but when Jesus rose from the grave, the great miracle was He appeared to many people over the course of 40 days. He appeared to his disciples in many places, in many ways, and to more than 500 people in total, they had seen and conversed with Jesus Christ, having risen from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus showed himself to them, proving to them that he was actually alive, and talking to them about the kingdom of God. Now remember those graves we talked about that were opened when Jesus drew his last breath, and he said, it is finished? There was a great earthquake and the rock split and the tombs and the graves of many of those who died with faith in God. They were open. The scripture says that on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, that they actually, uh, people rose themselves from the dead. So imagine this. In the cemetery, in the tombs, they're all coming out. No, it's not the dawn of the zombies or whatever the movie is. That's not what was happening there. They came out of the tomb, left the cemetery, and they went into Jerusalem and showed themselves to people. Imagine that. Now, they would have had the same glorified bodies like Jesus had when he rose from the grave, so they weren't, you know, all whatever, you know, whatever you can imagine or what you see on TV. That's not what they looked like. They were identifiable just as they were uh, in, the, in the days they lived among their relatives where they were in their glorified body. Can you imagine this undeniable proof of Jesus being who he is? And what he accomplished for us. Probably thousands of people going into the city and showing themselves. I thought it was kind of cool. Well, let's move on. That's not enough. You guys watch too much TV. At the end of the 40 days, 
Jesus leads his disciples back to the Mount of Olives, where the scripture says, having taught them some more, he then blesses them, and he's taken up into heaven. And as he's taken up, they watch and they watch and they watch until he disappears in the clouds. The Apostle Paul picks up on this event in Ephesians chapter 4, and this is what he writes. The Living Bible puts it this way. The psalmist tells us about this. For he says that when Christ returned triumphantly to heaven after his resurrection and victory over Satan, he gave generous gifts to men. We won't go into great detail, but because Jesus overcame the power of death, because Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of his Father in majesty, the Scripture says that he sent his Holy Spirit to fill his people with that same resurrection power. And that's why, as the, as, the music, as the singer is saying this morning, if we really understand, as Paul says, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you, then what do you think is going to happen? If you have a living faith, you are going to come alive in God, alive in Christ. That's what the Lord has done for us. The Lord sent gifts to us. Well, what did the psalmist say according to Paul? In Psalm 24, we have an actual account of the Lord's entrance into heaven. This is what happened. Look at Psalm 24. Read it with me. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Here's what has happened. Jesus is taken up. He's taken up from his disciples, disappears into the clouds. In the realm of the Spirit, every single man, woman, and child who was in paradise at that time, who had their faith in, died with their faith in God, they are caught up with the Lord. And they pass through the heavens with the Lord as he makes his way into heaven itself. And as they are approaching the heavenly city, the, the Jerusalem of, of heaven, the eternal city, as they are approaching it, all of a sudden the praise and the voice begins to be raised up from all of those whom Jesus has redeemed and brought from the grave. And they shout to the city gates. They say, be ye lifted up, O gates. Lift up your heads. Open the gates is another way. And the voice comes back. Who is this king of glory? They say, it is the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. That's who's coming. That's who's here. That's who wants entrance into heaven with all the myriad of souls that are with him that he has redeemed through his cross and through the power of his resurrection. Can you just picture for a moment what that scene was like? These heavenly beings in the side of the city, they had seen the Lord leave eternity. They had seen him step down from heaven to become one of us, to become a human being that he might identify with us, that he might be our substitute and take our sin upon himself and to die for us and to take the beating that we deserve. And they saw him descend into hell and to take from the devil the power of sin and death and the keys to hell. They saw him win that great victory and then take all those saints who've been waiting for him to take them with them up to the heavenly city. And as he comes and they say, be, uh, 
Lift up your heads, O you gates. Another way of saying, open up the doors that the king of glory may come in. Those who are inside the gate, they knew who it was. They knew it was Jesus returning. And so they begin to just to build up the excitement and the joy. And they say, who is the king? And they're saying, you know who he is. It's the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Open up the gates. But I believe the greater wonder as wonderful as what Jesus had done, as powerful and majestic, the battle he had won. I believe that there is also a tone of, of shock and even surprise that many of those that proclaimed, who is this king? They knew it was Jesus, but as he begins to enter through the city, there's just this sense of, of double take. Like, we, we saw who he was when he left. But we didn't watch everything being played out. Not everybody did. And so as, as the Lord comes back into the city, they say, I know it's Jesus. I know it's supposed to be Jesus. It's supposed to be the eternal God who's beyond description. And yet, who is this one coming back into eternity in the form of a human? And not only does he have a human body, a glorified body, what are those nail prints, what are those prints in his hands and in his feet and that wound in his side? I believe one of the greatest wonders of that day was to see the eternal God so condescend to take on a human form and not only to become a human in this realm, but in the realm to come to which he returned, he remained a human being in a glorified body that forever and ever and ever through eternity, he is identifying himself with us and the redemption he has won for us. And the beings in that city are saying, whoa, 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 wait, wait, this is the eternal God, and he's in human form. How is that? The great victory that he has won for us will be a reason for praise throughout eternity. And the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem open up, and Jesus enters in. Friends, there's probably never been so much joy in heaven as on that day. Remember when Jesus came in such an unassuming way, born as a child in a little manger in Bethlehem? The scripture says that angels appeared, hosts of angels to the shepherds, and they said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. If it was that exciting at his birth, can you imagine the shout of triumph when the king of kings returned to heaven, having by his death destroyed the powers of death and brought life and immortality to those who trust in him? Can you imagine the shout that would have gone up? On that day. Well, you know what? According to the Bible in Revelation, we're going to have the opportunity to join in that singing one day with all the saints. And here's our song. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We are going to join in with that song. And as I read that scripture, I thought, oh, Lord, how foolish we are. In this life today in which we live, how foolish we are to exalt ourselves above God, to exalt our desires, to exalt our petty pleasures, to exalt our time, whatever it may be, our own needs above God. And this whole time that we think we're so important, at this very moment in heaven, there are angels and every powerful being in, in, in all of heaven. What are they doing? They are just worshiping the Lord and adoring Him. Now listen to what Peter says. He says, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those that God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Will you read this last line with me? Then God will give you a grand entrance 
into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is coming a day, the Bible says, when the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And those who have died with their faith in Christ shall be caught up. And we will be caught up, those of us who are alive and remain, to meet with them the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. There is coming a day, my friends, where we will enter into the kingdom of the eternal city. And you know what the scripture says? Peter says that if you will hold on to Christ, if you will walk with Christ, if you will reign with Christ in this world, when you step into eternity, friends, you are going to come into eternal kingdom with an abundant entrance. Now we find that hard to imagine, but there will be shouts and cheers and rejoicing. That kind of excites me. You see, Easter Sunday is a celebration that Jesus Christ is king of the universe. Hear me, friends. And there is not a thing that Satan can do about that. Not a thing. The battle is won. It is won. But what Satan can do is he can tempt us. And what Satan can do is he can distract us so that we get our eyes off of the truth of who Jesus really is and of where Jesus really is today. In the book of Acts, just before he was killed, a man by the name of Stephen, a devout follower of, of Jesus Christ, he looked up into heaven. The Bible says that he saw Jesus stand at the right hand of the Father. He was dying for his faith. He was being stoned by, again, the religious establishment. But as he looked into heaven, the heavens opened, his said, and the Lord gave him a vision of him standing by his Father's side. And the Bible says that his face, Stephen's face, began to shine like an angel. And though his body was being pelted by the stones and he was slowly physically dying, his spirit was being so strengthened by that vision of what he had seen, what he knew, and he could take whatever it was they threw at him literally because he was absolutely convinced and committed to Jesus Christ. Friends, the resurrection is so important because the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ is what empowers the church to accomplish our mission. And the reason we can accomplish our mission and live for Christ is because we have a settled confidence that Jesus Christ is king over all things. And that's why Paul said this. He said, people, you need to understand that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. I'm going to ask the worship team to join me. It wasn't a big miracle this morning, but for those who are visiting Glad Tidings, this sermon length was a small miracle. I hope you recorded it. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, we have the account of Jesus being taken up into heaven. And as he ascends up into heaven, he disappears from the view of the disciples who are watching him, and they still gaze at the clouds, and then two men in white, the scripture says, appear to them. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven, he will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. You see, unlike his humble arrival when Jesus came the first time, the Bible says that when Jesus comes again, he is not coming as a little child to grow into a man, to go through what he went through, that's all been done. He's paid the price. He's overcome the powers of darkness. Now he is coming the second time as a conquering king. 
He is going to come with the shout of an archangel. He is going to come with the trumpet blast of God. And those of us who have our faith in him will be taken with him. In fact, when the Lord comes for his church, the Bible says, every eye on this planet will see him. Jesus Christ is strong and mighty. Jesus Christ is God and he is king. And yet Jesus Christ is so personally knowable this morning. He is so personally available to you and me this morning. He's in our midst. And as the scripture says, if you will lift up your heads and if you will open up your heart, the king of glory, he will come in. He will come in. Will you stand with me this morning? Can we just bow our head for a moment and close our eyes? If you're here this morning, and you know what it is to have any part of your life, your mind, relationships, whatever it may be, you know what it is to feel entombed. You know what it is to feel like there's just areas of life that are just shut down. There seems to be darkness. There seems to be just so much less than the fullness of joy that you know you've been made to know and to experience. Easter Sunday is a reminder that every day can be Easter. Every day, resurrection, life, and power can flow to us and through us. Jesus is here today to liberate everyone and anyone who feels imprisoned in any way. He has paid for your sin. He has taken your punishment upon himself, and then he rose from the grave to prove, to prove that his sacrifice has been accepted by God. And everyone who receives that sacrifice for themselves, you don't have to pay for your sin anymore if you'll accept that Jesus has paid for you. You can stop trying to be good enough. You can stop trying to pay for things on your own to somehow be good enough for God to accept or feel good enough about yourself. There's nothing you can do because your sin leaves this indelible stain that nothing can wash away. It is only the precious, life-filled blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross that can wash away your sin and make you a clean vessel for God to come and to fill with his life. I want to pray a simple word of prayer this morning just from my heart. I'm going to ask you, everyone here this morning, to just repeat this after me. It's just simply a prayer of invitation for the Lord to come into my life, to be my Savior, to be my King. And if that's your heart's desire this morning, I ask you just to pray that with me. Let's bow our heads and just close our eyes for a moment. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love me and that you sent your son Jesus to take my punishment and to die in my place that my sins might be forgiven and that I might become your child. I confess with my mouth that I believe what Jesus has done for me. And I receive his gift of salvation. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse my heart. 
cleanse my mind. Fill me with your life and with your Holy Spirit. Be my Savior and be my Lord. I give my life to you. Change me. Transform me. In Jesus' name I pray.